Hi, this is the Social Jello with Angelo show. My name's Angelo. I'm a social scientist, surfer, martial artist, and a whole lot of other things. Coming to you live from Kasai City, Japan, the Social Jello with Angelo show. What's up? And welcome to Social Jello with Angelo. Today I'm here with Michelle, and I promised her I wouldn't butcher her name. <laughs> And I realized I forgot to ask her last name. So I'm just going to have Michelle. Manu. Okay. Manu. Michelle Manu. Uh, thank you very much for being on the show. Uh, Michelle, if like I, know, I mentioned this to the, I've been referred to you by, by my, well, this is like the way my show works. My instructor contacted me and said to talk to this, to grit. Oh man, I'm just gonna keep messing up names this whole introduction. Patrick, Griffith. Patrick. Well, yeah, we'll we'll go with Patrick Griffith. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then he referred me over to you. And um, and everyone always asks me, like, oh, you really should look up this person and, and read about them. And I always try to avoid that because I really want to get to know you with my audience. So I did, but I did a little bit. <laughs> I did look a little bit, and I I I am I am very, very I'm sure you get this a lot. Very impressed with um, with your bio that I did find, um, and I'm just gonna say it because I don't know if you're gonna say it, but I'm gonna say it. A credential from Harvard Business School. That's wow. That's so cool. And also a tenth degree black belt in Kumu. Um, do you want to explain what that is? Like the martial art that you do? Sure. Um, it's well, you know, there's the ancient Lua. And, you know, I should probably say first, thank you for having me on. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no problem. <laughs> I just jump right into it because that's all I really do is talk about Lua. My whole life is imbalanced and it's all about Lua. Anyway, uh, speaking about Lua, uh, there's the ancient of what the warrior class was and how it shifted when visitors came and to what we are today in the modern Lua. And so I am um, one of few that have been given a higher rank. Um, and the permission to teach, which comes, of course, with kuleana or duty um, to one, protect the Lua, two, promote the Lua, and three, perpetuate. And so um, I do hold a high rank. I know that I'm, uh, I am a grandmother, but it doesn't match my age. <laughs> um, neither does my rank. And ah. every time um, I step onto the floor or anywhere I am, it's not grandstanding. It's it's learning from my students and sharing this cultural, this beautiful cultural practice. Um, all of it, not just the martial aspect. Uh, whereas my teacher, my beautiful teacher, uh, late Olohe Solomon Kaivalu, was really a hundred percent the martial and the dislocation and the take you out in the battlefield tactics. So, what an honor it was uh, to to study under him and become a disciple. So that's simply how I can say it. <laughs> and then for those, for those people that um, have just stumbled upon my show and for some reason, just, this is their first episode. <laughs> what style, uh, where does this style originate from? From the islands of Hawaii. Okay. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's definitely a warrior class. I mean, it's like say, there's those that had destiny uh, when they were born, they knew that their path was Lua and to be a warrior or what we call a koa. Um, and there's others that um, grew up and later were very good hula dancers or very good fishermen or very good weaponry uh, makers. And then they were pulled and brought into the ranks. So um, that's that's one way to look at it. Destiny, or like sounds Star Wars, right? Luke, it's your destiny. <laughs> um, or, you know, you were later then brought into the ranks of the koa and served the culture that way. And then for you, how did you end up getting into this? Was this something that you always did or how, how um, what, what brought you into the martial arts? Like, how did you end up, how was, what was your origin story? How did all this happen? Well, it was pretty yeah, origin story. We always want to rewrite that, right? <laughs> anyway, uh, origin story was a two for one at the local martial arts brick and mortar school. Uh, so uh, back in the 80s, where well, early 80s, 80, yeah. 
uh, where, you know, it wasn't really a girl's activity to, there was very few girls in martial arts. There were other girls activities that we were all forced to do, which I think actually now they were a true benefit to us if we later become martial artists. But um, it was two for one. So my mom enrolled my sister uh, and I, and uh, I was nine years old. And so, uh, but you know, my father before used to watch all the martial arts shows, you know, Kung Fu and, you know, Bruce Lee and all that. So you, you know, you would hear it and see it. So there's that subconscious like training, but I, I didn't want to go. I, I thought this is, this is a boy's activity. This is, I, I did mostly dance and up till that point, not engine. I just started gymnastics. So, um, yeah, I think it was like 10 minutes on the floor where I realized this is, this is not a boy's activity. This is, I enjoy this. And that's where I think that was one of those sweet pivotal moments. And, you know, like we all have those in our lives and we may not realize that it's a pivotal moment at that moment, but later we're like, oh my gosh, that was, that was where the roots took hold and started to really grow. And then every experience after that, you can look back and see that you were just being groomed for where you are today. So that was, that's my story. I continued in other arts. I moved to uh, the Midwest and started touring as a Polynesian professional uh, performer. And uh, from there, I took martial arts there too, because it was good for cardio. And when I returned back uh, from that, after seven years, I found my teacher and it was really hard to get through to him. Um, He hadn't taught women in, in about 20 years. And so it was a really a difficult thing to get through on the telephone. And I found him in the yellow pages because it was pre-internet. So <laughs> uh, he actually had an advertisement, which is very rare for Lua. And so you, you were mentioning that you started with the first style that we mentioned in the beginning of the show, the, the, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. Uh, the, <laughs> co- the co- co- <laughs> <laughs> that, that's what you started with, right? In um in the very beginning, the, the brick and mortar. I started with American Kempo. Oh, American Kempo. Okay, all right. So you went into an American Ed Parker. I don't know. I don't think so. Oh, okay. I don't Just... actually don't even remember. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was there for two years. All right. So you, you started with American Kempo as a child. You were um six, two uh, for nine. One. Nine. nine. You were nine. You were nine. It was a two for one. You start doing some American Kempo, and the whole time you've been doing Polynesian dance. Is, if I'm, is that correct? Yeah, correct, correct. And then for those who, for those people who might not know what that is, would you mind clarifying that real quick? Oh, sure. So, um, you know, some would dance the the dances from Samoa, um, and there's Tahiti, and then there's you know uh, the Maori, who, uh, and then Hawaii. So. Um, I mostly did all that, but the Samoan dancing. So uh, I got to do poi and um, fire poi, uh, as well as the kahiko, the ancient hula, which is the more serious hula. And then you see now the more kitschy awana, which is still beautiful, but you know, more touristy, still very good for um, lua training, by the way, to feel that flow of energy through your body. Um, but I did, uh, and Tahitian, of course, I did Aparima and Otea as well. So you're talking about different, um, I guess, countries within, you know, different parts of South South Pacific, Polynesia. All right. So you were doing dance, do some American Kempo, and then you start traveling. If I'm hearing your story yeah. right, you start traveling doing Polynesian dance. That's correct. Yeah. All throughout the Midwest. And you ended up at another martial arts school. What style, what style was that? It was Korean art. So I did, um, I really didn't do much in Taekwondo, but it was more Hapkido and it was really good conditioning. Um, I was also at the gym almost twice a day. And when you're front and center on the stage, you need your cardio to be up. And my, my record was 11 shows in one week. So, um, you can just imagine, um, the costume changes and the travel for that. And, um, you know, there are, of course, the bloopers that come with those shows as well. <laughs> so, you know, lots of uh, article of clothing on stage and hair that would turn green and, you know, pink dial over your legs during the hottest day of a Chicago summer in Comiskey Park at halftime. So there's a lot of funny stories that go with, with the seven years of touring. And so you went from, and I know you were pretty, how old were you when you ended up at the Hapkido School? Um, 15. 15. Did you notice any differences going from American Kempo to Hapkido? What were some of the things that 
Yeah, I found uh, the Korean arts to be much more aerial. They're they're off the ground a lot versus uh, the American Kempo to me was a little bit more rooted where there wasn't, of course there were jump kicks and things like that, but they weren't as high in the school that I was in. Um, so that there was a fundamental difference there. All right, so you went there, then you ended up, you said you came back, you met your instructor. So now at this point, how old were you when this happened? I was in my early 20s. Okay, all right. So you, you were in your early 20s and at this point you did some American Kempo, you uh, went and did some Hapkido and then you came back <laughs> to Kapu. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really trying here. Like, come on, come on, come on, memory, come on, memory. So, it's like, okay, it's okay. It's a lot. It's like ping ponging, right? So then, I, yes, I came home to Southern California, and I found my teacher, and he took the next two and a half years um, reprogramming my body. He completely got rid of anything I ever trained previously and literally reprogrammed my body. Now there, I wasn't always alone. There was always someone there. Um, well, most times there was someone there. He would arrange for me to work on someone, but I got to learn from him directly too, where he would work on me. And I got to, it's so important to know what it feels to, you know, the take and the give, right. And how it's supposed to feel when you are serving as the opponent, uh, the attacker. So I think that really made me much more proficient um, in, in what I can do. So after that, um, he invited me to the black belt class and that was uh, hugely rocky when that happened because I'm not sure if they even knew that he had been training a girl or a woman <laughs> um, privately uh, for a couple of years. So it took a while um, for them to be able to see me as one of the guys, um, but I kept showing up and now they're, they're very close to me, <laughs> my brothers. So it's interesting how it works. <laughs> and then throughout this whole journey, um, we're just a little from, from the eighties into the Kapu from the Hapkido to the American, how many other girls were you in your classes? Were you, did, if you were just to say a percentage of, of female to male ratios in these classes? There was probably uh, one, there were two adult women because I was still in my teens when I was in Chicago. Um, there were two adult women um, and there was, you know, some mishaps there as well. If you know what it's like to uh, have an instructor interested in a female student and watch it go down. Anyway, so there were two women students and there, I don't believe there were any other females my age. Now in Lua, there was no other women. I was the only one, but there were women um, that came. There was a cousin of one of the guys that started to train. She left for the military. She's probably with us for a month or two. I didn't see her very much. And then there was another woman that I heard was training but she quit after the first month. The training was grueling. I, I don't know of any woman that didn't have any tolerance for any sort of emotional, mental, or physical abuse could have tolerated the old school training. Um, so, you know, I, no shame on them for saying to themselves, this doesn't work for me. And how did, how did you navigate through all this? Like, how did you navigate? Like, I know you said you loved it, and I'm sure that really helped you to, to stick through it. But how, did it ever cross your mind or you were just focused on the training and you didn't really give it much of a thought? I had my moments. I definitely had my moments where, you know, I, I was a lunatic back then. I had so much energy. Plus I was working out emotions. So after class, whether it's two hours or five, because he would, he would determine when we're done with class, I would, you would find me at one 30 in the morning, running my Huskies on, you know, the cliffs, the sands at the beach. Uh, while my daughter slept, right? Leaving her home alone, sleeping while I have to burn this off, even though I just finished class. And I thought, you're going to quit. I'm quitting. And then I remember, what are you going to quit for? You know, so what? It's unfair. So what? He purposely tried to get you injured. So what? So-and-so was a little rough. Learn, you know? And I think, I think that's what happened with me. It's, I think at each point with us, we have a choice. And we know when we're done, done, we know when our inner woman says, or our inner man says, that's enough. This is it. But for some reason, that bottom of the pit never came for me. I always found a new way to rejuvenate and come back and be even more focused and determined. 
Um, so it's really interesting. I guess I haven't really spent, that's a great question because I haven't spent time in that yet to evaluate, but trust me, I will. Thank you for that. <laughs> oh, no, no problem. No problem. Yeah. Cause I mean, for anybody who's never done martial arts, it's already a challenge. It, uh, it, it's not, it's what there's, there's uh, there's those, those, those wacky statistics they talk about where, you know, 90% or 99% of people don't ever really get the black belt and they just train and they can't get to that point. And that's just talking in general, general martial arts. Like, you're, yeah. yeah, you're just like, uh, it doesn't have to be a hard style martial art. It's already rough, but you end up in a hard style martial art. External. The, yeah. It, you end up with, with some, the feeling of quitting does come around quite a bit. So like, I can only imagine how much more compounded to have extra factors on top of the already grueling task of trying to get through whatever art you ended up picking. But you know, he trained us well, we were trained as soldiers. And that's, I think the hard part now is he's no longer with us and we must now think as warriors, autonomous, uh, still working together, but finding our way. I think all that he, I'll give you an example. And I don't think I've ever said this before. We had the circle of death, right? You just never know when it was gonna happen. No gear on cement. And uh, it was one of those days where I was on like two hours of sleep, really tired, bouncing like two or three jobs. I don't even remember. I was just tired. And you know, there's those nights where you see something coming at you. You just don't move. You just, you know, you're quick enough, but you, you're just, you just don't move. It was one of those nights. He says, Michelle, and I get into the center of the circle and all the guys are in, you know, around and he's walking around the circle. And I'm like, please don't call Jeff. Please don't call Jeff, Jeff. And I'm like, oh, so here comes Jeff, who's just a bull. He is a tremendous practitioner. I mean, I feel really scared for anyone that meets him on the street when he is in defense mode. Um, you know, luckily he's mature and has control over himself, but you have to do what Alohe tells you to do. So he walks behind me um, and he walks, he, as he walks behind Jeff, he goes, anything goes. Even uh, he goes, except face shots. And then he gets behind me and he says to Jeff and Jeff is so trained, still focusing on me. He says to Jeff, and he, and he keeps walking without a beat. So I wouldn't catch on. Sure enough, he gets in the center, drops his hand and Jeff doing as he's supposed to shoots straight for my face. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I'm like, what? No. Oh, and then you, you can't, you can't argue. You can't negotiate. It's on. You just defend, recover somehow. Um, but there was also another night with, of course, Jeff, uh, where half my rib cage got broken because I did not angle, just minimally angle. If I get clipped, I get clipped. But yeah, that full thrust kick of his just, wow, right here. It's still, if I lift like in a, in a swimsuit or any type of tank top, I lift my arms. You can see my rib cage is just completely screwed. You know, it's those, that's a trophy. I think back, I'm like, you can never be that complacent again, ever. And that's the thing. I think it's the details that make us excellent. So when things get hard, when you feel like quitting, pay attention to that, because that's one of those pivotal moments where you're going to reach your, your own greatness. It's not competing with anyone else. It's, it's that next level for you. You're not going to get there otherwise, right? So pay attention to those moments. I wish I would have a little bit more instead of like, oh, lose me. You know, but you know, I, instead I did focus, but I wish I would have embraced, like fully 100% embraced the, those moments. I think I could have become better a lot quicker, you know, but with that too, no shame, right? We're going to evolve as we're ready. So. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I like the, I like the term embrace, embrace the suck. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> you feel like you suck and you're, and you're getting pummeled and, and you're, and you're tired and you got a headache and your face is being grinded and some guy's sweat is in your face and it, some of it way in your mouth and you really don't feel like being there anymore. <laughs> How about on a takedown and they're leaning over you? It's yeah, just dripping. Yeah. You're just like, yeah. yeah. And you just got off of work and it was a shitty day at work too. And you were hoping to go and kind of relieve some of that stress. And apparently someone else is relieving some of that stress on you. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, we try to take that and regenerate it, yeah. you know, take that and, and use it. So it's good. Yeah. Embrace it. Right? For Embrace life. it. <laughs> so we need all a this... chart. 
It breaks the sock. So all this is happening. You're doing martial arts. As I mentioned, I kind of cued a little bit in the beginning. You were also going to school. Like you, you were doing martial arts, but you were going to Harvard at the same time, like all this was happening at once or did oh, one gosh, get done no, before that the other? Not till later. Um, I, and so I got my law degree in 07 and then in 12, uh, no, in 10, I got, um, a senior leadership, uh, credential from Harvard business school. But at the same time later that year, I got another credential from George Washington university, but during the time where I was working for the FDIC during the last banking crisis, and I was on site at nearly 60 bank failures on grounds, uh, you know, throughout the Western U.S. So I was trying to balance all of that while I have a daughter in high school and train. So, you know, I, I think it's just instead of getting overwhelmed, look what you can and can't do and let go as soon as possible and um, just try to balance, be honest, obviously, with everybody uh, that's involved and uh, just do your best. And sometimes we do have to give something up because it deserves more of our time. You know, like right now I'm writing my dissertation or so I think I am. Uh, I, I wanted to have it submitted by November 1st. There's absolutely no way that's going to happen. So I feel this impending anxiety, right? It's still like, it's my undercurrent right now. Like I really need to go and it's just not going to happen. It might maybe December 1st, maybe if I'm lucky. So. And how, and I think this is where, this is something that um, I've been molding around lately. This idea that I obsess about 95% of my time theoretically playing out situations where someone's going to try to kill me. And I practice for this. And I, and for me, I think for you, maybe it's a little more realistic because you live in America. I live in Japan. So it's like super peaceful. I also live in the middle of the countryside. So oh, like, how beautiful! I'm really in the middle of nowhere. So I really think about the fact that I spend 95% of my time hypothetically thinking of these situations with maybe as for me, it's like a 0.002% chance of anything really happening. So <laughs> how, how does that statistic work for you? And how, how does that kind of, um, how is that mix between that drive for the martial arts and then your, your own personal life? How's that? How do you, how do you mull that around? It's, it's very different. I mean, uh, just, I shot something here not even a week ago for women that are on in a, working with an American nonprofit in the in third world countries. They're actually assisting um, individuals crossing over into other countries. Very dangerous. They're also their rapes are up in this third uh, two of the third world countries where they're happening in broad daylight on the street with people watching. So, if you look at the self defense I teach here in the first world. And we have hammer deaths, we have crowbars, we have zip ties, we have golf clubs, but those aren't prevalent out in third world countries. There's more blades and um, sharpened objects and more positioning, more awareness and positioning. If someone throws you into an alley or throws you up into a doorway and gets on you while you're on your stomach, what do you do? So it's much different, the self-defense for women here versus women in third world countries. Um, and I, I guess I didn't really realize that fully uh, until recently. So she, superhero experience, you know, um, would not apply to women elsewhere other than the US. We're pretty lucky. I mean, crap goes down here every day. I understand that, but we do have people that will jump in and assist. We do have people that will start filming it where that's not happening out in these third world countries, these women are alone to use their crossbody bag, their scarf, um, their shoes. They, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's just very interesting study, uh, the level of safety for women in different countries. As far as myself, I too obsess, fall asleep. I have probably done this for 25 years after my prayers, of course, <laughs> um, going through all different scenarios in my head. But I think that's where our training begins. It doesn't begin in our physical movements. It begins really seeing how we're going to position against what type of opponent, height, weight, age, uh, then the different types of attacks, you know, overhead, side swing, underneath, you know, straight to the face, you know, haymaker from behind. And then you've got all the different weapons, right? Um, so, I mean, we could do that for the rest of our lives. <laughs> yeah. 
I yeah. probably will. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, if, if you do what we do, it's just something that's always in our head. I know. I remember when, when I first started doing martial arts, I just couldn't shut up about it. And my friends, my friends are just, I, 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 I feel bad for my friends that weren't martial artists. Cause I was just like, you grab the club here and you could break his arm there. Angelo is all you talk about is breaking someone's arm and taking someone's club or, or hitting someone in the face. Can we talk about something else for a change? And I'm like, Oh, sorry. Sorry. I just started this, this Kung Fu thing. And I, I'm really excited. <laughs> so for you, when you were doing your martial in your martial arts journey, you were doing Polynesian dance. What did your, if you don't mind sharing with everyone, what kind of careers or career did you see yourself doing? And what kind of career did you do? And how did martial arts work in the middle of all that? Uh, well, I mean, I was working in law for 25 years this last July. Um, and I haven't been in litigation and, and for everyone litigation is the more court focused um, or court overseeing type of matters where you sue someone or someone sues you, which of course, you know, there's tons of that in California. <laughs> uh, the other side would be transactional. And I've been there since 2008. And luckily for me, I used to speak at some of the universities about, uh, you know, compliance and environment, uh, new students. And I used to say, you know, you're going for an interview at a firm and bing, the door, the elevator door opens up. You see this beautiful lobby and you smile at the receptionist and you look this way and it's all calm and, oh, hi, Bob. Hi, Susan. How was your weekend? Oh, it was great. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, oh, hey, how's that? How's that contract going? Oh, it's great. Okay, see you later. Then you look this side. It's like phones are ringing off the hook. You know, someone just threw a stapler. Someone's pounding on the copier because it's not working. You know, someone's yelling at somebody. Um, and, and that's the litigation side. So that is all that to say is that law is very adversarial because especially on the litigation side where these these hard and fast deadlines and clients lose you know their cases and people get blamed and it's you know you have to cancel your family vacation because the judge now rescheduled the trial and you can't forget one piece of evidence blah 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 and then it starts to get adversarial within your colleagues too so that that frustration or that anticipation of the shoe always dropping um, as in litigation uh, you get to come to class and you get to work all of that out but I also had a lot of personal things to work out too my marriage was failing um, I was sorting through some stuff from childhood you know I I think going back to what you asked about you know what made you stay why didn't you quit is because my teacher had some similarities to my biological father. And through this very strict training where you could barely breathe, you know, you definitely couldn't talk during class. There was something very healing about it for me. It was exactly what I needed to heal certain aspects of myself um, from my youth. And so uh, it wasn't all bad. I could see that already, that this is exactly where I needed to be. And, um, I'm grateful to have been accepted. Yeah. And in in that, so like, if, first of all, your, your workplace sounds wild. <laughs> <laughs> I just imagine someone throwing a stapler. I was gonna say it's not not what you, not your typical office, but anyway, <laughs> you're 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 working, and I I guess um one thing that I've noticed recently and you've been doing martial arts longer than i have um probably because i'm older than you i like the way i said it first like like we both are the same time you just got all these experience definitely either way <laughs> um what do you how do you feel about this idea that you know, you have your work life and you have your martial arts life. And I think nowadays a lot of, and I'm, I'm just going to make a, probably a generalized please, statement, please get, in, get in trouble for this now, but no, I, don't think I, so. I feel, I feel like the newer generation that gets into martial arts, um, their career is the martial arts. Like they come in with ideas that they're going to be the next UFC champion and that's going to be their career track. Well, whereas the generation I came from 
didn't do martial arts for that reason. Uh, I, I, even though I live in a nice, peaceful place now, I didn't always. And yes. that was the whole reason I did martial arts. It was like, I didn't, I, I just didn't want to get killed um, or jumped or stabbed or, sh- or shot. So like, uh, you know, that was the reason I got into martial arts, but I feel like the newer gen- So when I came in there, I had no idea that the place that Kaja Kembo was affiliated with, with uh, Hawaiian Kempo and John Hackleman and, and Chuck Liddell. I had no idea of any of these things. In fact, I didn't find that out till way later in my life. I just focused on the training because that's all I really cared about. So for you, how, how'd that work for you? Did you ever see yourself? I'm going to have a career in martial arts. Was that ever a thought in your head? How? So as, as, uh, soldiers in the Kaivalulua, we were sequestered. We weren't allowed to talk to any other arts or have any other relationships. Um, I never saw myself. Why? Because still to this day, the U.S. has a real issue with seeing women uh, being able to be uh, brains, uh, brawn, and beauty. For some reason, we have been raised to see women only to be able to be one. And if they are brawn, they're a lesbian. And that's ridiculous. So, of course, we can be intellectual, we can be intuitive, uh, we can be beautiful, uh, we can be all of these things at the same time. So I've kept my vocation very separate from my martial arts because there's no way in law right now I'm known as the, the, the nerdy legal girl and I'll take that all day long. If they actually were confronted with who I am in the martial world and my duty to uphold the culture and this Kaivalu lineage, I think they would have a really hard time wrapping their minds around that um, because we're raised in a different way to believe that women should be certain way. And even women believe this as well. So they shy more towards the designer handbags and the nails and the, and the hair and the clothing. And then there's others that are more, you know, studious that uh, don't really care about all that. Maybe they want to look good, but it's not to that extent. And the handbag doesn't make, you know, give them their worth. They're more, they're just more intellectual, but maybe they're not intuitive. And then there's the brawn, you know, those of us that can punch even harder than a guy, you know, and can maneuver and have a snake-like motion and a nalu, a wave, where it's not what you expect, where you're going to get nailed and you're going to get taken down. And it is possible because regardless of genitalia, there's physics at work here. Placement, location, 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 right? Force. Uh, all of this balance, timing, uh, it, how much force, when, are, is it one massive blow or are you setting them up? So I think we're equal in this sense. Yeah, men are stronger on the upper body, but I think if we train and we learn what our weaknesses are or what could be tightened up may not be a weakness, just needs to be developed. I think that, you know, we are formidable opponents and we can and can be all three things in this in this world is just, we get impacted with that. Even though we know that we may have to still wear our alter ego because if we step out in our superhero power, we'll get targeted. So it's this fine dance, you know, of having to show our elegance, but still know our worth and still contribute to the martial arts community and keep our jobs. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Not, yeah. not, 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 you know, reverse guillotine your boss. <laughs> Bad day. <laughs> sometimes we feel like it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm I had sure. one, I had one, I had one attorney used to walk in and, you know, I was handling all the evidence for this one federal trial. And I swear he, he would come into the office and I kept my door shut on purpose and he'd come in. How's it going? And I'm like, look, I'll say his name, Greg, look, you were just in here 10 minutes ago. I'm still working on the same evidence, you know, same motion to exclude evidence. Okay. I'll let you know when it's done. But I had like 12 more that day to finish and I needed quiet and I needed to be left alone. He came in one more time and then he left me alone because I think he hurt himself. He didn't push the, the doorknob down all the way. So it was here and he just went boom into the door. <laughs> and, he, and, he, he, and I just heard it and I never turned around. I was like, yes. <laughs> so, you know, it's stuff like that. It's just really funny. <laughs> obsessive you know overseers hovers you know it's like what's going on just too much just go away you know the work is being done and you coming in interrupting me is not helping me finish this so yeah pretty funny (laughs) so here's the guillotine right rear naked naked choke (laughs) i love the door my door my the door saved me Uh, perhaps actually arguably the door saved him 
probably <laughs> probably i think i was four i was seven years in training at that point so yeah yeah definitely so yeah there's that balance right and i think that's something that um i don't know like, like i said uh i see students coming in and for me i've recently had when i moved to japan when i was teaching in america and california i was still teaching in that old neighborhood so all the students that came in were coming from the same background as me um they all came from uh there was a lot of gangs so all of them came in hey this looks effective i want to be able to defend myself and i had one person come in one of my students came in actually to my instructor saying they wanted to be an mma fighter and then they were like, well, Angelo is into MMA, so you should talk to him. And so I started training him. But I wasn't into MMA because I wanted to be a professional fighter. I was into MMA because I saw it as the as a possible opponent that I would have on the street. I said, if I'm going to have someone who's going to be doing double legs, single legs, and they're really studying how to do a ground and pound, which I already have a strong background for ground and pound, but they're doing this stuff called Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, then I really should see what I can do to counter the that. Yeah, I should, I should go, I should go train with these people, see what they're doing, see what I do against it. And then everybody started saying, Angela's an MMA. I was like, that's not, that's never. Trust me, people say a lot of things about me too. And I'm like, I never said that. And that's yeah. not correct. And you, no. there's no way to, there's no way there's to correct no, it. No, once it's, <laughs> once it's out of the bag, it's like Pandora's box. You can't put it back in. When I got to Japan, someone, I was talking to a friend of mine who was a martial artist. And he, he was, it was cool. Like we were, we were in the break room and he's like, I do martial arts. I'm like, that's cool. What, what style do you do? We're just exchanging information. Yeah. And then another coworker hears this conversation towards the end of it. And then goes, then like after work, Hey, so is it true? You're an MMA fighter. What? Wh- who told you that? <laughs> well, I, I, um, I, what, where is this coming from? It's like, well, so-and-so said that you that you do MMA, that you're an MMA fighter. Like you do cage fighting. I'm like, that was a long time ago. Like, <laughs> I'm an English teacher. Who t- <laughs> I'm like, oh man, this is why I don't talk about this work. <laughs> so, so like, looking at that and now seeing this uh, this newer generation, right? Um, I don't know about you, but it wasn't cool to tell people you did martial arts. wasn't a cool thing. It's weird for me now. I hear people because of UFC and stuff. They hear you do martial arts. And they find out that, you know, you do this, they think it's cool. But when I was coming up, um, my dad, my dad out the door, I, I had a black, Kajukembu guys wear black geese, right? So we're, we're, I put my gi on, I'm getting ready to go out the door. And he would tell me in Spanish, Oh, tiene tu, tu roba de sacerdote, ya, yeah, otra vez, va, va, va a salir para practicar con tu, tu, tu roba de sacerdote. Which in English would mean, you have your priest robes on. You're wearing your priest. Who's making fun of me? <laughs> Essentially making fun of me. You're wearing your priest robes to go do your karate stuff, right? That's you're gonna. And then everyone in my family, oh, I go do that karate stuff, and they just thought it was a funny thing. And and then a my phase, friends, maybe maybe they thought it was a phase. They just thought it was yeah, not a no. They knew it was part of my life, but okay. they thought it was like they looked at karate as something oh, as karate, right? I, I explained it to them a hundred times. It's not karate. <laughs> so like, just for starters, just for starters, I explained a hundred times. It's not karate. It's the mixed martial art. It's that I just, but, and I was such a geek. I'm like, Connor, Kaja, Kamlo, Jew for Juno, Jiu-Jitsu, Canada. And they're just looking at me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go have fun doing karate, karate. <laughs> with, all, with all those little kids. Wax on, wax off. Have a good time. Right. So like, that's, that's where I came from. So it was kind of weird to see now where people are oh, that's so cool. I'm like, wasn't cool when I was doing it. Like, I'm happy that it is now, but but it's not something I saw coming. So for you watching this, this kind of generational change, how are you taking all this in? Uh, you know, I think social media has a lot to do with it, too. And I think that even uh, gentlemen my age and older are... Um, it's really interesting. There's like this clear divide, right? I'll teach online. I won't teach online or, you know, I'll promote myself. I, w- I won't do that. I don't know the first thing about Facebook. I don't know how to work it. I'm going to break it. Right. But I think that, um, I think it's great. I think it's great that we can see traditional arts working with MMA. Sometimes we can see that MMA, uh, you know, is for sport. We can see that traditional is some really great grounding for us as individuals uh, to master ourselves, uh, whether it's an internal art or an external art, because uh, really that's the goal, really not our opponent that's facing us, it's the opponent within us. Um, but it is interesting to see too, you know, like in the 70s, I think there were only two red belts in the world, right? And now we've got all these supreme platinum super grand 
uh, poobah, uh, all of them wearing red belts, uh, don't know who their teacher is, uh, created their own system. Um, I, I think we're less verified today and hold these grandmasters um, in reverence because of the posturing and the ability through social media to make one seem extremely grandiose more than he knows he is. What I've been really surprised about is I was on my journey and didn't know there were other women on their journey. And now I see, and I'm linked with all of these other high ranked women, masters um, and up and coming masters, no nurturing the next generation. And they have their story too. And it's an honor to know them and to honor their experiences um, and what has brought them here so far. Because, you know, when you're in it, you feel like you're alone and there's no other women that will really ever understand. And yet there are some that can. And I think what an amazing thing to experience in this lifetime, as well as the empowerment of women happening today in the world and their value reemerging uh, on every level. Uh, so I'm, I'm hoping to see more of that. And that too, I didn't think I'd see in my lifetime. So it truly is an honor to be here at this time on earth, on Haumea, to, to witness all this and to witness these amazing men that publicly and privately support women I mean, that reach out and say, hey, my daughter or my niece or my wife or my sister, you know, what can she do? What can you? And all of these messages I get from these amazing men that love their women so much that they understand that there's unfair treatment out there still. And we're maneuvering through. I think, you know, not to get I'm on the soapbox, but one more thing. No, 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 please, what we find please continue, is, continue, continue. Don't, stay on the soapbox. It's OK. <laughs> uh, what, we, what I find is I run into other women that are not as developed and you can identify it right away because they're competitive. Uh, they start comparing uh, and then they show this really toxic aspect of them, probably because they have been a recipient of it. And I think that as we start to reemerge and reawaken that um, hopefully those women will understand that that's not really their native way of being, that they have been programmed this way because they think they need to act in this way, the way that they were treated to survive. And so I'm hoping that they will also arrive at a place where they know themselves a little bit better and they realize they don't have to be like that to others to survive. And it's really not about, yeah, we need to survive, but what about loving what we do, accepting all of who we are, loving every moment that we have in this life. I mean, it is a gift, even the shit stuff, because that's really what teaches us. You know, I was telling my students that, you know, the Naheka, the snake, reading on the anatomy, you know, a couple vertebrae connected, but the rest, how the snake will contract one side of its spine and contract this, and it makes that snake. And that is how it strikes, but it can't even move on the ground without obstacles on the ground it'll just turn and wither. And so what a parable for life. Like the boulders aren't in the way, they're part of the way. And if we can just accept that and and move through them and say, okay, this is here. I hate this. I want it to be over. I'm not gonna ignore it. I'm not gonna suppress it. What do I need to do here? That's best for me and everyone that's involved. And that is like the snake. That is a rock that's helping it propel forward. So if we can look, we can learn so much from animals. And I think if we look at it like that, because I think we're also taught, you know, to avoid pain, any type of physical or emotional pain, avoid, avoid, abort, abort, run. And I think this is, these are the pivotal moments where we really learn about ourselves. You know, it's in that pain where, we can really find what we're made of and what we're supposed to do to move forward. So there you go. And you need to give me a, like a buzzer. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. Actually, um, I, I, I prefer my guests to, to do the talking. I've been yelled at for talking too much before <laughs> in the comments. So either way, um, <laughs> no, you, you mentioned something really cool about um, toxic behavior, right? And in psychology, they talk about, not just toxic behavior, but a lot of toxic behavior, like you were saying, stems from people not being able to be their authentic self. So they they end up using parts of their, what Freud would call their id, what most popular people that don't study psychology call the ego. This idea. Or like uh, young, right? Young called it the shadow. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 
So they end up just being kind of overpowered by their negative emotions that then end up reciprocating more negativity and they got stuck in this cycle of negativity, not understanding how to get out of it. Um, and this kind of brings me to the original question I asked about, and we kind of talked about this off air, about authenticity, right? Being your authentic self. Um, do you, would you mind kind of elaborating on that concept? Yeah, it's interesting, you know, being invited to several different media projects and I learned something recently and I know she's, uh, she's, I don't know if she's given birth or not, but I was on the phone for a potential project with Rhonda Rousey and we all know who she is. And if you don't know who she is, um, she is a judo Olympian uh, following in the footsteps of her mother, um, trained by Jean LaBelle. And also, uh, of course, you know, um, MMA champion and then went on to WWE, right? Um, she since married a Hawaiian mixed man, <laughs> but she was on the phone and she was listening to, um, you know, what the production wanted of hers to be a coach, um, you know, women and it's in women's empowerment. And she asked all of these very pointed questions um, and de depending on who, what the question was, and she had some very pointed questions for me. Uh, she actually giggled at my rank. I, I actually made a joke about it too. And, and, when, and when she said, you know, this is Michelle Manu. And I said, Rhonda, I said, I, you know, I'm, I'm a huge supporter. I hate that word fan, right? It's just like, oh, again, you know, I've got a little, I, I picture this flag and like, oh, you know, uh, or, you know, like a jersey and face paint. Anyway. The, the, giant, um, the giant finger. And the right, finger. exactly. <laughs> and so I, I just said, I'm a huge supporter, um, uh, personally and professionally, you know, congratulations on your pregnancy. And um, I said, you know, when I was introduced, you know, my manager said that, uh, you know, 10th degree. And I said, I'm sure that incited some giggles. I said, but in my art, I am. And she said, I understood. I understand. And that, you know, as we explained everything, um, she said, I'm going to, I'm going to talk to my, you know, production company and my manager and uh, we'll get back to you. But she was so like unapologetic in her questions and what she can and can't do. And I think it was just a really good lesson for me to see that we want something so badly. We think we need to bend ourselves like a pretzel because we think we know what the other side wants but they don't want that at all. They just really want you to bring your full authentic self. Um, hopefully you're not toxic or rage filled, but you know, some are. And it's, I realized if you dim yourself in any way, if you turn that light down on your authenticity, that you will lose every opportunity that you would really love to experience. She has since of course um, declined the offer at this time because she's giving birth soon. But just to watch her maneuver, ask these pointed questions, know herself so well that she knew already how this was fitting and what it was really, it's the risk assessment, right? Yes, no, yes, yes, no, 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 yes. Oh, it's a no. I mean, she knew what she was. She knew who she was and she knew what she wanted at that time. It was a huge lesson. It's a huge lesson for all of us to understand that why go through this life half-assed? Like bring all of who you are at this moment. You can be extremely proficient in your art and be an amazing person and still be able to laugh in public. Why do, why do we have to, if we're proficient and we laugh, why does that lessen our skill set? Now, there's a whole different rule set for women, obviously, you know, and there are those that use their sexuality and, and flesh uh, and photographs, of course, to keep up their followers. But you know, that's, that's not for me. That's never been for me. You'll never find me doing that. You know, my audience is women. I love all of you men, but really it's the women and there is no need to do that. So, um, you know, keeping it real and understanding who your audience is and staying true to yourself when you're in other audiences are people with shifty ethics because someone always wants something from you and you got to make sure that you're giving yourself what you need. You cannot say yes to everything and you you can't trust everybody either. Trust, you know, I grew up thinking the whole tank of trust is full and then they diminish it and you're always disappointed. But, you know, at my stage of life, that, that tank is empty and you fill it as you go. And so I don't know you, you don't know me. Don't think for a second, don't call me pet names. Don't think that I'm going to respond to you. Uh, is the, if you don't have my cell phone, <laughs> You know, don't expect me to respond on messenger like immediately. So it's just interesting, this distortion too. you know, of uh, expectation 
of others through social media, thinking that they know who you are and what you're about. Uh, so really fascinating way of having to navigate through all of this in these days, you know, but authenticity, keep it, keep it real or don't do it at all. Yeah. What do you have to say about that? Oh man. <laughs> oh, um, cause you've got your show, right? Yeah. And someone can say, well, you, there's, there's this, or there's that and you should, but you know, I mean, what, then it wouldn't come off authentic. Yeah. And I think that's the, the show has done best as soon as I stopped listening to other people that told me what they think the show should be. Hmm. That's, that's when the show did best. When I finally said, you know what, the best advice I got, like I said, off air was my friend who said, you're editing too much and you're not being yourself. And then from there, I took that idea and just flew with it, stopped all editing, unless a guest asked me to edit, then I would edit to, to respect my guest. But if I make a mistake, um, if I say some unfactual information, because I'm not, oh, I'm not a, what do you know? I'm not a genius. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not the retainer of all knowledge. And I, I don't, and I don't have, yeah. And I don't have a, I don't have a production person in the background fact checking everything so yeah i, I make mistakes it's I, a discussion yeah you know? it's just yeah it's just recorded so that people can listen to it and be like that's not true and, and go in the comment section but like I had everyone's to gonna say that <laughs> you're always gonna have the keyboard warriors are like <laughs> yeah. but they don't even practice so it's like okay yeah. whatever yeah so like i just being i think um that was one of the things that really helped me it was like you know it's okay it's okay to to joke it's okay to get angry it's okay to disagree it's okay to tell people i mean out, outside of, outside of the show I, I told one of my students the other day i'm like yeah you know i have anger issues and i'm always working on this but i have anger issues so that's why you know that's why i'm telling you that the other day when you did this and this and this i was pissed off about it and he's like you were i never thought you were like you seem like such a calm, like you're always talking about, you know, yin yang and all this like stuff. And you're like, I'm talking about that because this is like how I hold my sanity together. <laughs> like, there's a thin line between me being at peace and me being at war. So like, I'm, always, I'm, always, I'm always fighting that. So like, but I, I used to feel like I, I had call, to hide I call, that this, right? self, I call that self-counseling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's, but that's right. That's that balance. And that's what we're taught in martial arts. And that's, that's my take on authenticity is is be yourself and maybe not everyone's going to be okay with that. And if you have issues, acknowledge your issues. I think that's the best way to move forward is to acknowledge the issues you For do sure. have. The worst thing you can do is try to hide it, is try to say, hey, I want to create this persona on social media and I'm going to, this is now me. And I understand that. I understand doing this show. I understand you have to do this branding thing. I get that. Like on my Facebook, I realized that I, I used to try to do it all because just like you, I have a lot of hats I wear and I tried to do it all and people didn't know what the fuck to do with it. Like, like what is this? Like one day he's posting an article about psychology. The next day he's kicking someone's ass. The next day he's, he, he's oh, you know, about civil rights. And, and, like, and, and I'm going all over the place. And I realized that people, some people couldn't handle that. And I realized that I can be authentic but as far as social media and branding, I'll brand it and then I'll create another space where I can brand something else. So like, so I have, I have multiple accounts on different social media accounts and I, I kind of pick it right in the beginning. And then like my Instagram, I made one just for me and it says it, my life, my family. And that one, I'm just all over the place. And then I have the Facebook page. I realized that a lot of people that were going to my martial arts stuff were going to my Facebook page. I'm like, all right, it's going to be more about martial arts once in a while. I'll throw something kind of cool about psychology, nothing. I won't rock the boat as much on this one. And <laughs> I, I ended up, because I like writing jokes, I created another profile where I just write jokes. And then I tell everyone who tries to come over, don't go there. I'm experimenting with jokes and memes, and they might be a complete failure. And I don't want to offend anyone. So let's just separate these three things. So like, it's something that gave me, because everybody needs an outlet. And that's what it really comes down to. I think I, I, I could be wrong. Like I said, earlier. <laughs> well, I mean, you're right on a physics note, we're energy, right? And we're, we're, we need to exude that energy and emotions are energy thoughts, create energy. I mean, everything is energy. So if we look at it that way, yeah, you need an outlet. Yeah. So before we wrap up, we're almost to the, we're almost to the hour here. Um, this is a question I ask everyone. 
Uh, well, yeah, well, not everyone, because not everyone's a martial arts instructor. Uh, this, is this, <laughs> question, this is a question I ask all the martial arts instructors that come on the show. If you have someone who walked in and, and asked you, what should I do? They've never done any martial arts before, and they want to get into it. And in your case, we're going to kind of work on, on your, your audience. You said you, 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 you have a, a strong female audience, right? That's like the, you, that you work with. So well, let's go off that. Let, let's personalize this. You have a woman who wants to start doing martial arts and she doesn't know where to start. There's a lot of choices out there. What's your advice for this woman who wants to start martial arts? What kind of things should they be looking for as far as a place to train? Well, I mean, it depends, you know, if she's a former survivor of any type of sexual assault or rape, she's going to get triggered. So she might want to work with a woman instead of a man. That's if the, you know, the assailant was a man. Sometimes women assault women as well. It's not uncommon, um, just a little bit more rare than a man. Um, so like, what is she more inclined to do? Finding an art that benefits her in her natural movements. Cause like Lua is very unnatural. It's very unnatural in the way that we move. It takes years to program um, and even learn the beginning parts of these very odd movements where the lower body is moving differently than the upper body. Um, so I would maybe try to determine, have a discussion with her and determine, you know, what movements would she welcome? Uh, is it an internal art where it's more, you know, uh, softer and more contemplative versus does she want an external art? Does she have anger and confusion stored? And then an external art will feel very good and rewarding for her, especially as she learns her movements, learns her breath, uh, learns her striking, sweeping, kicking, and is able to maneuver her opponent, then that's going to be very healing for her. So, you know, and then also with identifying what type of art, um, it would also be finding the right instructor. Uh, and the first or second or third that she finds in this art may not be the right one. So to stick with it and to maybe give each art, each dojo or halau or pa, you know, three months, stick with it every day, so, you know, evaluate your experience. Do you feel this is where you will grow the most? You know, how does your instructor treat you? Are they paying attention? Are you advancing? Are you getting hurt? Is safety a concern? Um, these are all things we have to think about today when before it didn't matter. You know, you bust them up and you're good to go. Things are different now, especially in the Zoom world where you're trying to connect with your students and they're in the difficult mirror image and they can feel very disconnected because their learning style isn't audio. Their learning style is hands-on and they have no one to touch them. So it's very difficult today when the mental used to come after you learn the movements. Now the mental has to come first then you get into the movement. So it's really odd the world we live in right now as far as martial arts instruction. And so I would just encourage this uh, young lady or lady at whatever age to find an art that they enjoy moving in, stick with it and find the right instructor. And I think they'll be good. And, you know, it, the increase of fitness and well-being really needs to be there. Uh, it doesn't mean, you know, you get to choke someone out and you feel better. It means there's this progression in, in, in your advancement where, you know you're becoming a better version of yourself. And that is, everything else seems to work out after that. You know, so that would be my advice to anyone that walked in the store, but it's always locked so no one can get in. <laughs> <laughs> not, not, they call that a callback in the business. So, <laughs> right. um, so yeah, definitely. I think that's great advice for anybody listening. Um, keep that in mind. And also, before I finish everything off, is there anything you want to promote? Because uh, I sometimes forget to ask that. Is there anything you want to promote? A website or work or upcoming project or something like that that you? Sure. It got really dark in here, so I'm actually going to turn on a light. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, yeah. So I have um, this uh, new book that just came out. It's a. Uh, it's on weaponry. It's to showcase the Hawaiian weaponry, or as we joke, the weapons of destruction uh, in a very beautiful cocktail table, you know, coffee table type of way. It has all sorts of, of different history and then, you know, different photographs. So it's one of those um, books that you can find on Etsy if you type in Michelle Manu, Lua, L-U-A. And so that's on Etsy. Uh, and there's lots of workshops. There's workshops, two of them in, in Mesa. One is for Kaju Kembo. Um, so it's the 
the ninth, uh, I'll start at the beginning of the month. The ninth is uh, where historically, uh, it's really interesting, Ahula Halau and Lua, myself, will hold a workshop together, uh, which is unheard of. I don't, uh, I don't think the Hula and Lua communities have been together in over 200 years. And so this is very um, exciting for me. And then uh, the 16th, I'll be with all my Lua brothers. We're having a Lua, uh, Lua Halau Okaivalu um, uh, annual event in Mesa, um, who's hosting us is Randy Ong, who is also a Kaju guy uh, and Lua. And then the 23rd, I'm with the OKO, um, which is the Ordonis uh, Kaju Kembo Ohana or organization. And I get to share the Hawaiian Lua, Kaivalu Lua there, as well as some Hawaiian Hula, how that translates into our striking. Um, and so I'm looking forward to those three. And then for those people listening, um, I know these, these, once they go up, they stay there forever. This is, we're talking about October. We're talking about the dates in October and we're speaking, uh, it's, it's, oh man, this is what happens because of being in your house for so many years. We're in 2021, <laughs> 2021, right? Oh yeah. Yes, it's 2021. <laughs> it's no, not, it feels like total it's recall, not, It's not 2019, right? Because right? I feel like I've been in 2019. <laughs> <laughs> all right okay so we're talking about dates in 2021 in october um and yeah definitely i encourage you to check it out it's been a pleasure getting to know you on the show i really appreciate you taking your time to share your story with me and my audience and um all i can say is ma- a big mahalo and muchas gracias i really appreciate it thank you i forgot about ucla you can uh, go ahead and check out the kaivalu at ucla starting october 4th so but anyway thank you so much for having me i really enjoyed our time together no problem all right well we'll catch you all later peace thanks angelo